0: Our sermon text today is the 128th Psalm. It's another song of ascents, as we had last week. Uh, So now, as I read it to you, would you please rise, if you are able, out of respect for God's holy word. This is indeed the inspired word of God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. be upon Israel. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us even today. You speak to us through your word, and we pray that you would do that even now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us hearts to receive your life-giving word, for we ask it in the name of the one who is the resurrection and the life, even Christ Jesus, your Son. Amen. Well, I've got a question for you. Do you want to be happy? It seems like a silly question, right? Of course I want to. To be happy no doubt that's what you all say i i want to be happy that that it's silly to even even ask such a thing we all want to be happy but the reality is is it not that oftentimes the things that we think will make us happy often turn out to not make us happy (laughs) they disappoint us or or even worse i know sometimes when i'm going for that third dessert I think it will make me happy turns out it does not <laughs> well there are other areas where it's a little bit more serious than a third dessert many of us functionally believe even if we would say we don't believe it functionally we do believe that that money will bring us happiness right that that that, that somehow if, if only I had more money then I would be happy and and I saw a study about five years ago actually that that actually determined that this is not the case they actually talked to people and asked them you know what their level of happiness was and and checked how much money they had and, and kind of measured it against each other they found that that indeed for some people who are uh, below the poverty line uh, having having enough money to be able to actually have things like food and shelter actually yes in those cases getting that money could actually make you happier because, you know, you're, you're able to live a basic existence. But they said beyond that, though, there's, there's almost no correlation between how much money a person has and how happy they are. In fact, they said once you get up over $100,000 for household income, the more money you have, it turned out that actually people tend to get less happy, which kind of goes against our common common assumptions, common ideas of how things would work. It turns out that money is not the key to happiness. It's not just money, though. It could be other things, right? Sometimes we think, you know, what, where I'll find real happiness is in relationships with people. And that sounds good, right, because we should be in relationship with people. We are created to be in relationship with. With people and we think that that is the source of happiness and indeed it can bring us joy it can bring us happiness to be in relationship with people but when we seek our ultimate happiness there we will be disappointed because people will disappoint us right people ultimately will disappoint you they will they will lie to you and they will fail you or even if they don't do those things uh, they, they'll do something very inconsiderate like get sick, right, or even die, right? And and if your happiness is all tied up in that relationship, well, that causes great pain and suffering to you. Your happiness cannot be ultimately in other people. I guess the point that I'm making is that, that too often our happiness is, is driven by our circumstances. It's driven by by those external things that are happening to us but when our circumstances change even if even if those circumstances have brought us happiness the reality is that happiness will disappear as the circumstances change and so what we need is not a circumstance driven happiness but instead a true and lasting joy what we need is to be blessed right I use that word blessed because it's right here in our text four different places it's often used very tritely in our in our lexicon i guess right we you know somebody sneezes god bless you right we just kind of say it reflexively almost it's kind of got a superstitious background to it that it came from but but we just kind of throw that out there or or you know if you're from the south you know you're probably familiar with the term you know bless your heart You know, which actually means not "bless your heart," but "oh, aren't you so stupid," or something like that. You know, Uh, it's not really near as nice as it sounds, is it? Uh, You know, and, and so we throw these terms around, and and we we really kind of miss a lot of what it means to really be blessed. We need to understand it's not. Just a throwaway phrase or a throwaway term it's actually a very important term a term that I pointed out shows up in our text today for times and it's a term that is used throughout scriptures it's a term Jesus himself used in the Sermon on the Mount of course right blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the merciful blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the peacemakers right there, there's this term that seems to be very important to what Jesus is teaching and what the psalmist here is teaching us today, what exactly does this term mean? Well, if you look at the, the lexicons and, and you come to find out that, that what it means quite simply at its most basic is happy. It means to be happy. Now, Now, I think that that's another term that we kind of use tritely. And so I want to go a little bit deeper than just saying happy is how we're going to define blessedness here today. Uh, one one person defined it this way: said to be blessed is is a positive inner condition of the heart that is happy, joyful, satisfied, contented. And that's really good. But I want to add two more things to it. Uh, it. Indeed, it is this condition, inner condition of our heart that is joyful and satisfied and contented. But but I want to say two things in addition to that. One is that it is from the hand of God, right? It's not something that we can conjure up on our own. It's a gift from God, and because it is a gift that God gives, it is lasting. Those are the two things I want to add to that, right? It's not just a a fleeting thing that you have now, and then it's gone five minutes from now. It's important to have that down, because blessedness is, is a key idea of this text today, this this Psalm 128 is about experiencing the blessings of God. We need to understand that, that this blessing that God gives out is not a thing that we earn. It's not something that we, we do enough good deeds and we've, you know, kind of earned enough points to redeem, right? Like I go to the gas pump and, and now this is a lot easier to earn. Right? Good news, it's a lot easier to earn points at the gas pump now, Right? Right? silver lining to the cloud there uh but but you know i pump the gas and you know on my card i get points and i can redeem those ultimately for a for a soda or for you know a snack or something like that I ultimately you know you you earn these points as you go along blessedness is not like that right god doesn't just sit there and tally up the points that you've earned and decide okay now i'm going to bless you because you you deserved to be blessed no it's a matter of grace Right? It's God's grace poured out to unmerited favor that comes to us. But at the same time, I, I want you to understand that it's not a matter of easy believism or, or cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it. Right, Cheap grace, the phrase he, he said was the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession cheap grace is grace without discipleship grace without the cross grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate right grace is something that is freely given we need to understand but it is something that once we've received it is indeed costly right it is cost it costs us changing who we are right because if we have truly received God's grace well it means we need to wholly devote ourselves to him that's what jesus says in luke 9 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me or luke 14 so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple paul says in romans 12 i appeal to you Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that's why Paul can say in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me you see to follow jesus to be his disciple you have to die to yourself and live for him not as a means of gaining his salvation that he gives by grace but in response to the salvation that he has given by grace but when you do you experience countless countless blessings right and that's what this passage is about it's about experiencing The blessings of God first in the life of the individual that's your first point on your sermon outline that I've given you experiencing God's blessings in the life of the individual blessed is everyone who fears the Lord now when we talk about fear we need to understand what we're what we're talking about exactly it's not just the idea of being scared of right you know, like, you know, I'm scared of the dark or something. You know, you think there's a, a monster there that's going to get me kind of idea. Kids, there's not, I promise you. Uh, you know, but, but when I was a kid, sometimes that's, I had that fear, right? I thought that, that there was something, that there wasn't anything there was going to get me. But I had this fear. I was afraid. That's not the kind of fear exactly that's being talked of here. Rather, it's, it's something that's kind of referred to in our unison scripture reading. Right, it said that, that we offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. It's, it's being awed by God, showing reverence to him, realizing quite simply that God is God and I am not. Right, coming to that realization and saying, well, I, I need to worship him because, because he is God and I am not. So the psalmist reiterates the point in verse 1. He said, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, and then he kind of parallels that with who walks in his ways. Right? This idea of being blessed and walking in his ways, it calls to mind the first psalm, right? Psalm 1, verse 1. The very first phrase we find in the Psalter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. When when it talks about his counsel, it's not just talking about his advice, but rather his, his ways and his, his practices and the way he lives his life. And it's saying that, that blessed is the man who does not walk in those ways, but rather walks in the ways of the Lord, right? And remember, a, a man's walk is his way of life, right? That's what he says to us. Blessed are those who walk not in the ways of the wicked, who live their life not in the ways of the wicked, but rather walk in the ways of the Lord, or live in the ways of the Lord. Right, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, the kind of famous verses about grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So no one may boast, right? But then the very next verse after that, verse 10, reminds us. We are his workmanship, created in Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? That's what it means to walk in the ways of the Lord. It's to, to walk in the good works that He's prepared for us, to live out our life in the ways that He has designed for us, to, to follow Jesus in the walk of our life. That is what it means to walk in His ways. Now, because of our sinful state, that is not our natural inclination, right? The fall had two results. One result was that, that we participated in Adam's sin, right? When Adam sinned and fell, we sinned and fell with him because he was acting as our representative. He was acting as, as our covenantal head. He sinned and we sinned with him. But but it's not just a matter of us participating in his sin. We also actively partake of our own sin, don't we? Every day, Every day, every moment it seems at times we are sinning we are turning away from the way that we should right isaiah said all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way right and that's that's the problem we're not walking in the ways of the lord we're walking in our own ways instead we're deciding that he shouldn't be our god we want to be our own god right? and we misunderstand the the whole notion of what it means to walk with god why why sinning is bad for us it's not just a matter of of it bringing judgment upon us but it's a matter of it's not the way that we were created to walk right the way we are created to function is to walk in the ways of the lord that you know when you read on the on the label of of a product it says for best results do this right use by this date or for best results you know use it in this way right and that's that's kind of what the Lord's ways are that's this message that says for best results it's stamped on us right follow the ways of the Lord walk in the ways of the Lord this is the way you were created to live this is the way you should do it and if you do verse 2 says you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands right he's not saying it's a reward right that you earn those points again no again he's just saying this is the natural result Right? It cuts both ways, actually. Right? If if we sin, right, we will eat the, the, you know, the fruits of that labor as well. Right? The wages of sin is death. Right? As we follow the ways of the world, as we follow the ways of the wicked, as we follow the ways of our own heart, we're walking headlong into death. Sometimes running headlong into death. But if we follow the ways of the Lord, then we have a different fruit of the labor of our hands. Right? We want to be too often the God of our own lives. But God says, Let me be God. Let me be God. Follow me faithfully. Trust in Christ Jesus. Receive my grace know what you've been created for reorder your life so that you might live as you should live right and then you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands you shall be blessed and it will be well with you right it'll be well with you not because nothing will ever be hard again not because not because you get all the stuff that you want not because uh, any of these things are true, but rather because you get the pleasure of God for which you were created, right? We are created to, to be in fellowship with the Lord, to, to walk with him. And we get the joy of that existence. That is the fruits of our labor as we follow him, right? So whatever we do, let us in word and deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him as you do this as an individual you will experience God's blessings in your life but God's blessings are not just for the life of the individual right we experience God's blessings in the life of the family first three your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house now we need to realize that the imagery of a vine is a very uh, very uh, rich bibl- a biblically rich metaphor Right, it's used throughout the scriptures. Uh, specifically, it often points us to the blessings of peace that will be ours in the messianic kingdom under the rule of the Messiah. Right, The prophets speak about this. Micah 4, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Zechariah 3.10, similarly, in that day declares the Lord of hosts every one of you, Will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. This idea of being under the vine and the fig tree is this idea of being at peace, things being as they ought to be. Right? Jesus, of course, picks up the, the messianic vine imagery, right, in John 15, when he says, I am the true vine. Right? He says he is the true vine in which we abide through which we are strengthened and by which we produce fruit. Just as we who are followers of Jesus are bound together with Jesus, right? We we are united with him by his spirit. That's how salvation works, right? We gain his righteousness because, because we are clothed in his righteousness. We are united with him. We are joined together. All that is his becomes ours. Right? And in the same way, so it is that a man is bound together with his wife. The marriage is fruitful not only uh, in the children that it produces, but in the fact that it points us to the gospel. A marriage points us to Christ and to his, his saving work on our behalf. In Ephesians 5, Paul speaks at length about husbands and wives and about, about how They have certain responsibilities within the bounds of marriage and about how how the husband and the wife are to be so connected together, so joined together that what they share is actually spoken of as producing a one-flesh union. But then comes this surprising statement by Paul. After saying all of this, he says, This mystery is profound but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. right? He, he goes on this long talk about marriage and, and all the different parts of it and how it has evolved and, and, and even going so far as to, to, to talk about the most intimate details of marriage and then he says, all of that is about Jesus and the church. And we say, come on Paul, you're talking about marriage, not Jesus and the church. He says, no, I'm talking about Jesus and the church because Jesus and the church is the true marriage right God didn't come up with marriage and have it there one day and then then say you know I need to think of some kind of metaphor to tell you about about how Jesus and the church relate to each other and and he's like oh you know it's kind of like that marriage thing you've got right it's kind of similar to that no marriage is created with the specific intent of pointing us to Christ Pointing us to the gospel, pointing us to the reality that we as the church are his bride and he is our groom. And so marriage points us to him. We are the bride of Christ. And so when he talks about children here, it's it's not just about actual children. But at the same time, it is about actual children also. I don't want to discount that, right? He says here in verse 3, Your wives will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Too often in our culture, our view of the family has become so corrupted, so broken, so distorted that, that we've come to see children as as a, a hardship, or children are a, a, an inconvenience, or children are, are unwelcome. The Bible speaks very clearly. Children are a blessing. And for us to see it any other way is to see it in a way other than the way God sees it. Children are a blessing. Now, there's normal reasons for this, right? In that culture, uh, it was largely an agrarian culture, Right? So children are a blessing because, you know, free labor. Right? I mean, let's face it, we can put them to work. Right? And that was one of the reasons they were a blessing. They were also a blessing, especially male children, because they carried on the family name, and, and the family name got to go on, and that was very important to them. And so, so they were excited about that fact as well, but specifically for the people of God, there was a reason that children were seen as a blessing. And that is this, the covenantal promises of God for salvation were to be carried out through the generations that followed. Through the having of children and raising them up in the Lord. That is how it would be. From the very beginning, God spoke this way, Genesis, 12 when he talked to abram he calls him out and says i'm going to make a great nation out of you i will bless you and make your name great you'll be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed how will this happen well he says in genesis 15 he took abram outside said look up at the heavens and at the stars and number those stars if indeed you can number them then he said so shall your offspring be right he says that that numerous offspring will be a blessing to the world, to all the families of the world. But it goes back even further than, than the call of Abram, right? It goes all the way back to Genesis 3, when man has first sinned, and the curse has been pronounced upon man and upon woman, and God turns to the serpent, And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right? This is the first proclamation of the gospel. He says, the offspring of the woman, the child of the woman, right, will bruise your head even as you bruise his heel. This, of course, points us to Christ Jesus, right? The one who was the the child of 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 the child, right? And what did he do? But he crushed Satan, even as Satan bruised him. Right On the cross, as Jesus died, he took, took the punishment of our sin, the pain of our, of our sin, the, the sorrow, the grief, and the wrath of God upon himself. Right, And he bled and he died. He tasted death for us so that the wages of sin, which are death, we need no longer pay. Right? For though we have earned it, he has absorbed it. And so he has defeated death itself. and Death has died and victory is his and through him ours. If only we trust in him. And this promise was held forth to come through the children of the children of the children. The offspring of the offspring. The seed of the woman right and so how appropriate that we'd have this message here on on father's day of all days right you know on a day where we honor fathers you know and perhaps we should take a moment you know as fathers to honor children as well right the ones who made us fathers right celebrate them and celebrate the fact that it is through the working of generations that god produces the salvation that is ours He talks here about the olive shoots of children being in one commentator put it this way. He said, the the children who are likened the olive shoots are strong and in due time will continue the work that their father has begun. Though the olive tree may not bear after, after it has been planted for 40 years, it is a symbol of longevity and productivity. So are children within the household of faith. They are not like grass, which is here today but gone tomorrow. Rather, they are olive trees that in due time bear their fruit, the blessedness of godly man will extend to other generations. For this reason Martin Luther said, that, the, or I'm sorry not Luther, Spurgeon said that this is a family hymn, a song for marriage, a song for a birth or any other day in which a happy household has met to praise the Lord. And behold, thus shall man be blessed who fears the Lord. The blessings of God are experienced in the Life of the individual, the blessings of God are experienced in the life of the family. Finally, the blessings of God are experienced in the life of the church. You say, Pete, wait a second, I don't see the church mentioned in this passage. No, but, but there are other things mentioned, right, where it talks about Jerusalem. And, and whenever we see Jerusalem as Israel and Zion, we should think the church. Right? Because in the Old Testament, there was this church-state nexus where the, the nation and the church, the people of God, were one. It's not the same anymore. No longer is it a, a national identity. But we, as the people of God, stand in that place. We've been grafted in. And so when he says, the Lord bless you from Zion, he's saying, saying here that the Lord blesses the individual within the context of the communal. right? And so it is that, that sometimes those blessings can only be experienced in the midst of the people of God, right? Remember, this is a song of ascents. They're going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They're with one another. They're singing this song together, and they're experiencing the joy of singing it together, just as we sing out hymns together here, and we join our voices together. And, and you know, if you're joining us via video, we're glad that you're here observing, but there's a sense in which all you're doing is observing and not participating in quite the same way, right? Because because if you are here, we can see your face. We can hear your voice. And it's not just a matter of you getting something by being here, but it's you contributing to what's going on, that everyone else might be blessed by your presence, might be blessed by your involvement in worship, that we might each mutually benefit one another, And there are other blessings that can only be found within the church, right? The sacraments, of course, are are only received within the church. A fellowship that we can experience is something that that only exists within the church. The service that we can give to one another within the church and lifting up Christ's body is is something that's only in the church. Uh, and, And side note, please allow others to serve you, right? So often... We want to be humble and kind and not a bother and not a trouble and somebody wants to serve you. No, no, don't don't worry. Let others serve you. They are blessed in serving you. And so if you won't let them serve you, you are in a very real way taking away a blessing from them, right? Don't be so proud as to not receive the service of others. That's just a side note for free um the lord bless you from zion may you see the prosperity of jerusalem all the days of your life the prosperity of the church is not measured in in increased numbers of members or worship attendance or in bank accounts or anything else or political influence or any of the other things that we often measure it by the prosperity of the church is measured in the faithfulness of the church. That is where we see that we are truly prosperous. So this is tantamount to saying, may the people of God be faithful all the days of your life. And here's the good news about it, brothers and sisters. You get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of of that faithful being, right? By committing yourselves to the Lord and walking with him and encouraging others to be faithful as well as we follow Christ together and finally it says in verse 6 may you see your children's children peace be upon Israel right and again this idea of the children's children it's not just a family thing it's it's pointing to those covenantal blessings right those those blessings where God makes his promises to your children and to your children's children his covenant promises that we get to experience a foretaste of in the here and now that we get to experience just a a little bit of here in the church oh but one day the lord will return and he will bring it to full reality and what a day that will be what a joyful blessed day that will be we look forward to that day we long for that day but as for today we rest in the joy of the blessings of God. Experiencing the love of God and sharing that love with one another. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we we thank you that you have indeed blessed us so greatly that as we sung earlier that the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets even before we reach the heavenly fields. Lord, help us to realize those sweets, as it were. Help us to realize them and to enjoy them. To share them. And to encourage others to enjoy them and to share them. And help us to appreciate them. And help us to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, would you rise now as we sing together the love of God, it's printed in your bulletin.